The Old Covenant reading is taken from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. We'll be reading through verse 11 this morning. The word of the Lord. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Here endeth the Old Covenant reading. The New Covenant reading is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. We'll be reading through verse 24 this morning. The word of our God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here endeth the New Covenant reading. Please keep your place here, as this will be the primary portion of God's word for our morning sermon. Jesus wants you to invest wisely. Now, this does not mean that Jesus wants you to become a shrewd stock picker or a real estate mogul. Jesus isn't talking about that sort of investing. He wants you to invest your life wisely. The Lord has graciously given each of us uh, a large number of very precious resources. First and foremost, perhaps, is your time. Right? God has given you his, your life, and he's given you time. But he's also given you very specific gifts that you have, abilities. He's given you, at least many of you, some financial resources. And, and you shouldn't forget that he has also given you both his gospel and an understanding of how you can live to a large degree for the glory of God. These are treasures that the Lord has entrusted to you as a steward, and he's calling you to invest them wisely so that they will receive a great return. You are a steward of these gifts. You are not the original owner, and Jesus wants you to invest them wisely. It may be helpful to start with an analogy. Uh, An analogy is investing from the financial world. Now, unless you have an unusually good pension, at some point in your life, all of you are going to need to invest for retirement so that you have money when you get older. So suppose someone comes up to you this week and says, listen, I've got exactly where you should put your money. 
I want to urge you to invest. This company is so going to take off. Uh, they're going to bring back the Sony Walkman, right? And, and this company is totally committed to the idea that people are going to give up digital downloads and music and podcasts and stuff and return to cassette tapes. For you young people, in case you've never seen one, <laughs> this is a cassette tape. Now, believe it or not, people used to record things on this. This one has two sermons on it. And then you'd stink it into a clunky machine that would turn around and play it back to you. And you get some very nice squeaky noises and cranking noises sometimes, depending on your device. Now, here's my question for you. How much of your money do you sink into this company? And if you are considering it, you ought to let someone else manage your money for you, right? But here's the really interesting part. Suppose you could go back 30 or 40 years ago when cassette tapes were actually incredibly popular. I mean, every church was giving them out, mailing them out. You know, we'd ask for a donation for $2 to cover the cost of the cassette, whatever it was. Even at that time when they were incredibly popular, it was still risky to invent, invest in a company that was going to make equipment to play these cassette tapes. And the reason's obvious. It's technology. Technology changes. And you couldn't know if you were investing at the end of the cycle before it gets replaced by something else. Now, if you doubt me about that, think about your cell phones. Uh, cell phones may be the greatest consumer product that has ever been launched. I mean, Apple is the most valuable company on the face of the earth today. Imagine you can go back just 15 years ago and invest in the cell phone leader. I mean, we don't put our money in Apple, right? You know, we would have made a killing by now, just 15 years. We're talking about putting a building up in uh, Salem, New Hampshire. We could put up a cathedral, except we wouldn't have invested in Apple. See, 15 years ago, the dominant cell phone maker on the face of the earth was Nokia. In fact, there's a now very famous article, it was a cover page article in Forbes magazine from 15 years ago that was about Nokia, and it was subtitled, A Billion Customers, Can Anyone Catch the Cell Phone King? But you know, when you walk around your local mall, you may notice there's not beautiful Nokia stores with a line of people outside of them. And our investment would have lost 80% or so of its value over the last 15 years. That's the way technology works. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It gets replaced by something else. But what Jesus cares about is not whether or not you're buying Apple stock or Nokia stock. Jesus in this passage is bringing us to the reality that the vast majority of people on the face of the earth are investing the bulk of their time, the bulk of their energy, the bulk of their resources in things that are either useless or things that are ephemeral. Here today, gone tomorrow. And Jesus doesn't want you to waste your life like that. And so he teaches us in very direct ways how we can invest our lives in ways that are going to be good, importantly, where we're going to invest our lives, and what we ought to avoid so that we don't waste our lives. We're going to look at this morning's passage under three main headings. First, don't follow your heart. Second, be careful what you feed your heart. And third, Blessed are the pure in heart. Let me give those to you again. 
First, don't follow your heart. Second, be careful what you feed your heart. And third, blessed are the pure in heart. We begin with a actually very important truth. Don't follow your heart. And I know that that runs contrary to at least half of the graduation speeches that are going to be given this spring. But it aligns with the word of God, and that is so much more important. Please look at verses 19 through 21 with me. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, that just makes good sense. You're going to take care of your treasures. Uh, If you have really valuable diamonds, uh, you're going to lock them up in the safe when you're not showing them. If you have artwork that's worth millions and millions of dollars, well, first of all, you're doing really well. But, but, but let me say, you're not only going to want to secure it in a place where thieves aren't going to get it. You want to control the temperature, make sure it doesn't fade, there's no rot in it, and so on. You take care of those things that are valuable, right? That, that, that just makes good sense. But where can you store up the treasures of your life so that they matter both in this age and in the age to come? And you'll notice that the contrast Jesus makes is binary. There are two places according to Jesus, where you can invest your treasures, on earth or in heaven. Now, that might need a little bit of fleshing out, because when Jesus says um, uh, that those treasures that are stored on earth are, are, are going to be eaten up by moth and rust and decay, he is not saying this present age is not important, right? It's not about the location. It's about those things that inherently belong to this world that is passing away and those things that inherently belong to the kingdom of God which will endure forever. So, you know, when you give a a glass of cold water to a young disciple in Jesus' name, Jesus says you will not lose your reward. But the glass, the water, and that disciple are all physical and they're all in this age. The very place where we invest for eternal dividends has to be right now. That's the only time you can ever do it. The the point is the location of the orientation of where those gifts are going. The contrast is less between the locations of earth and heaven and more between treasuring those things that belong to the age that is passing away and treasuring those things that belong to the kingdom of God. This is what the Apostle Paul means when he tells the Colossians, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, what does it mean to seek the things that are above? It does not mean deny this life. It means you ought to be acting in this life in a way that honors Jesus Christ and carries out his will in this world. Seeking the things that are above does not mean ignoring the thirsty young disciple. It means seeking what Christ, who is seated above, would have you do right here and right now. Well, it feels like I could stop, because if I put it like that, it sounds so easy. 
but a little bit of reflection in our own lives shows we don't always do this so well, that we actually struggle with this issue. See, part of the problem is, is even giving a glass of cold water to a disciple in Jesus' name requires us to set apart what we might have imagined were our really important plans for the moment, to recognize the need, to focus on the need, and say, what I was going to do can wait. I'm going to do this instead. And, you know, if it's a glass of cold water, that might not seem like a big deal. That's actually why Jesus chose it. He's saying, even a glass of cold water. But consider Jesus' parable, the Good Samaritan. Everybody loves it. It's a beautiful parable. Turns out it's a lot easier to admire the Good Samaritan than it is to put it into practice. The Samaritan gets involved with a man that he doesn't even know lying on the side of the road. He takes the time to bind up his wounds, pouring oil and wine into them. He puts this man on his own animal and brings him to an inn. And then he takes the money out of his own pocket and he pays the bill. You know, I mean, put it in your own context. What would it mean if you went home and said to your husband or to your wife, you know, we were going to take a trip three weeks from now. We got to cancel that trip. Because the money I was, we were going to spend for that nice little vacation, I gave to this guy who I've never met before. See, it turns out that in real life, showing this sort of mercy that Christ shows us costs us something. It means we have to be willing to give up something that we had our hearts set on to do something that Jesus has his heart set on. We sometimes sing... I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. When the truth of the matter is, most of us would really rather have Jesus and silver and gold. No, that's not true. All of us would rather have Jesus and silver and gold. Not just some of us. All of us. By the way, it's not bad. The problem is sometimes you have to choose. And Jesus is talking about choosing. Are you hoarding up? Silver and gold, which seem like they're going to last forever. You know, they're precious metals, but they're going to decay and be gone. Is your life set on the bigger house, the promotion, fame, uh, accolades in school, right? Things that are all passing away. They're not wrong in themselves. Please hear that. Those are not wrong. The problem is, is when we put them in the place of God. Let's remember that earthly treasures, even silver and gold, are ephemeral. And our Lord uses rather vivid language. To hope or to find security in earthly treasures, according to Jesus, is to hope or to find security where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Uh, To state the obvious, that's not a good place to invest for your retirement. It's not a good place to invest your life for eternity. Now, most English translations, including our English Standard Version, uh, have tended to follow the Latin Vulgate of this verse. It's just kind of how translations work. They're traditional, and it's actually a good translation. Nothing wrong with it. But I want to draw your attention to something that I think is not only interesting, uh, it actually will be helpful to you if you get it. The word that's translated destroy in this passage actually means to make disappear. What Jesus is saying is, well, when you invest in this current world, poof, your investment's going to be gone. 
it's not just going to go down 80%. Eventually, it's going to zero. Right? He wants us to see the vanity of putting our ultimate hopes in that which is passing away. Well, what's the alternative? Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And the logic of this is so obvious that we might imagine it would be easy to put this teaching into practice. Uh, I've already mentioned that, but as I say, it's a little bit of reflection on our lives, particularly those of us that have a few decades uh, under our hoods, uh, we realize this is actually a little bit harder than we realize or that we would imagine. Uh, for one thing, many completely transient things can loom so large in the present that we come to feel like they are going to be of lasting importance. Um, turn on the nightly news. Their job is to get your eyeballs, and part of how they get your eyeballs is by telling you that the story they have is really important. There are probably 50 stories at least on CNN this year that are going to be presented as though these are history-shaking events. Go back and look at CNN from 10 years ago, and you'll realize that almost none of those had lasting consequence. And that's just 10 years. 200 years from now, the likelihood that any of those things is really going to turn out to be significant is almost zero. Right? But, but in the moment, it can seem so important to us. In the moment, it can seem so permanent. Nevertheless, that just pushes the question out a little bit. Why wouldn't we naturally want to be investing our lives primarily in the kingdom of God from the moment that we first become believers? Do you understand the question? I mean, for, for, for forgetting the apparent significance of these other things, we all know the kingdom of God is what's most significant. Why don't we just naturally desire to pour the bulk of our resources into seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness from the moment that we're converted? The answer is, when you're converted, you're not yet glorified. You are still a sinner, and now you are a sinner who's been born again by the Spirit of God, and you have a mix of tensions pulling you in opposite direction. On the one hand, now that you really are a child of God, you really do desire the advance of the kingdom. On the other hand, you still have selfish desires. Uh, you really do. I do too. You still want to indulge yourself. You still want to flatter yourself in various ways. These things are intention. And the problem for us is the things that are pulling us back to the world are very visible. They're, they're shiny. They're immediate. In fact, people might be spending billions of dollars to tell you you deserve a break today. So it's hard. One of the lessons that means is you ought not to follow your heart. And what I mean by that is you feel like you really ought to do something, that's not a good indication that you should. Right? Isn't that what Jesus is actually getting at here in verse 21? I've titled this section, Don't Follow Your Heart, because just doing what you feel like doing will actually lead you to squandering your life until your heart has been fully disciplined and transformed so that it focuses on the Lord. Um, that is what Jesus is saying in verse 21. Jesus is saying, instead of following your heart, you need to lead your heart. You need to form your heart. You need to discipline your heart by the choices 
that you make. Please pay careful attention to Christ's words. Even though I have mentioned this several times in the past two years or so, don't know why it's come up so many times, but I know I've mentioned it at least three or four times in the past two or three years, we are all prone to inverting what Jesus says in our heads. This is what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't it easy just to invert that? And to think what Jesus is saying is where our heart is, that's where we'll invest our treasure? Well, there's actually a bit of truth in that. These these things go together, right? What your heart is set on is probably where you're going to invest time and so on, your talent, your money, if you have any. But what Jesus is teaching us is the opposite truth. Where we invest our time, our talents, and our treasure, our hearts actually follow those investments. Let me give you a very simple illustration of this. Um, If you go shopping, I, I, I do most of the shopping in our family for the supermarket, um, you're walking down the aisle at Market Basket or Hannaford Brothers or whatever, and you're going through the toothpaste aisle. How much attention are you paying to all the different toothpastes? You're probably not paying any attention at all. You want one. Maybe it's Colgate, and you say, I, I'm just looking for my Colgate. I like Colgate Total. That's what I'm getting. And otherwise, you don't pay any attention at all. But you know, if this week you went out and bought $10,000 of Colgate stock, For the next year, every time you walk down that aisle, you'd kind of notice, hey, Colgate's got a new product. And you notice how the packaging between Colgate and Crest compare to each other. And you go, well, why doesn't it have a better position on the shelf? You know, I want them to sell this stuff. I'm relying on this to make me some money. I'm not making that up. That's really true, right? Where you have a stake will focus your attention. And, of course, that's not just true at your finances. But it does work with money in other areas. If, for example you decided on a regular basis to donate money to one particular missionary or one particular missionary group, I guarantee you, you would pray for them more. Right? Your heart, your attention is going to follow your checkbook to focus on that particular missionary. There's millions of things you could pray for that are good. The one you're going to pray for is the one you have a stake in. Right? That's just how it works. Jesus is saying, lead your heart by investing your treasure. Of course, that's not simply your money. It is your money, but it's not simply your money. The place where you invest your time, your heart's going to follow that as well, and so on. So what Jesus is saying here, it's very simple, but it's powerful if we take it to heart and put it into practice. Beloved, do not follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Let me say that again. Do not follow your heart. Follow Jesus. And Jesus will lead your heart. That's the direction we need to go. The second point follows, in my judgment, very naturally from the first. We need to be careful what we're putting into our hearts. Right? What are you feeding your heart? You're trying to lead your heart. What are you feeding it? Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Well, we have a little bit of a debate right up front. 
What does Jesus mean when he says the eye is the lamp of the body? Uh, a number of very good scholars latch onto that word lamp and they say it, it means that the eye is sending out light, right? Because it affects everything that you see in the world. My problem with that is Jesus says if the light is good, your body will be filled with light. That is, the light isn't going out, according to Jesus. The light is coming in, or in fact, it's not coming in, based upon what you are looking at and how you are looking. Both those things are important. Um, What you look at and how you look at it will drive how you think. Uh, It impacts the entire rest of our lives in the most profound way. The difference between a healthy and a bad eye is the difference between your body, here a metaphor for your entire person, being either filled with light or with darkness. Where and how we look is simply one aspect of how we are investing our treasure. Right? You have an ambition. You're, you're saying, I'm going to focus over there. That, that's what Jesus is saying. Where you focus and how you focus is going to impact the rest of your life. Uh, give you a simple, maybe a little bit of a, a harsh example, but if you spend your evenings watching trashy movies, you're, you're filling your life with darkness, not with light, right? Uh, you're sowing to the flesh, and according to the Bible, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. But if instead you look out into the world with love upon your neighbors, going, how can I serve them? How can I glorify God in this situation? In that case, you'll be sowing to the Spirit, and of the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. I do want to draw your attention to an interesting detail about the translation of verse 22 that I think will be quite helpful to you if you grasp it. And I'm going to come back to this on the next point. Nearly every English translation says something like, so if your eye is healthy or if your eye is sound. And I want to say those are good translations. I'm not recommending any different translation than that. But it might be surprising to you, but the Greek word behind this means singular. Right? Not sound or healthy, but singular. And the translators understood that if they said you had like a single, single eye or a singular eye, it would be incredibly confusing. It wouldn't mean anything to us. It might even seem a little bit weird. But in the broader context, I think we're going to see that it has important meaning. We're going to see that context in the very next verse. So please look at verse 24 with me. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, This may be one of the best-known verses in the Sermon on the Mount, other than the Lord's Prayer, and perhaps the Beatitudes, right? Everybody knows Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon. That's the Aramaic word that's behind this here. Um, It's well known, but I think it's often misunderstood. Uh, For one thing, by the way, I think this is because of preachers. It's our fault. But for one thing, many people seem to take money or the Aramaic word mammon as though Jesus is suggesting that mammon is intrinsically bad, like filthy lucre. You got to throw the word filthy on there, right? But that's wrong. At best... Mammon is a neutral word, 
And most commonly, it's a positive word. It simply means wealth, but it's wealth that God has given you. Right? God doesn't give it to you to curse you. He gives it to you to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people. Uh, there's actually a very ancient, even going back before the time of Christ, translations of the Hebrew Old Testament into Aramaic. And so in those ancient Aramaic translations, we can see some interesting things about how this word mammon is used. For example, the Targums translate Proverbs 3.9 as, Honor the Lord with your mammon. And Deuteronomy 6.5 as, Love the Lord your God with all your mammon. Right? Mammon's not bad, and so you're supposed to be offering up to God. And you can even consider our Old Covenant reading today. Uh, in the Old Covenant reading we had from Proverbs 6, God was helping young people understand how to avoid poverty, right? You say, saying, look, if you're lazy, you're a sluggard, you're going you're to end up in poor. I don't want that for you. I want you to be productive. And out of your productivity, I'm going to give you a degree of material well-being. Wealth is a good gift from the Lord. The problem isn't wealth. It is putting wealth in the place of God. And it turns out you don't have to be particularly wealthy to do this. Uh, poor people are every bit as able to covet, covet wealth as really wealthy people are. So one of the problems in our society is, this is very popular broadly in our culture, is we tend to think wealthy people are greedy. But, you know, poor people could totally imagine that if they just had more money, it would solve all their problems. And they can lust after it. And all of you in the middle class can do that too. See, this is not a about the status of our bank accounts, it's about our hearts. As Jeffrey Gibbs points out, as far as we can tell, most of Jesus' disciples did not come from wealthy circumstances. Moreover, the crowds that are listening to Jesus' teaching, um, they're comprised largely of poor Palestinian farmers, peasants, and tradesmen. Nevertheless, despite the poverty, especially by modern standards, the poverty of Jesus' original audience, so universal is the lore of possessions that even those who do not have many still must be warned and taught not to assign to them too high a priority in their lives. Now, beloved, that's not just God's word for them. This issue about not serving God in money is God's word for us. So I would add we can easily kid ourselves that we're safe because this temptation is an issue for people who are in a different economic status than I am. Beloved, this is not an issue of our checkbooks. This is an issue of our hearts. By the way, that applies to all you young people too. College students, high school students. Imagining if you just had more money, you'd be happy, you'd be fulfilled. And that's the problem. But you don't need more money. You need more of Jesus. Here's the main point I want to make here, though. Jesus doesn't say you cannot have both God and wealth. He says you cannot serve both God and wealth. That's the problem, putting wealth in the place of God. Now, this word serve is interesting here because it doesn't mean um, serve like you're helping someone in a restaurant, you know, as a waiter or a waitress. It means serve as a slave, uh, to be a slave to that person. You can, in fact, serve multiple people, multiple interests in your life, 
as part of your job. You can have two jobs instead of one. You really can do that, right? But in terms of being a slave, you can only have one master. You cannot belong body and soul to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and yet give all your thoughts and your energies over to accumulating more wealth. Those things can't go together. That's what Jesus is telling us. And this brings us back to that issue about the eye being healthy. As I pointed out, the Greek word actually means singular. And I think we can now see why that makes sense. See, Jesus is saying, if your eye is focused on the kingdom of God and its righteousness, if your eye is focused on God, singularly, with single-minded devotion to God, then your whole life is going to be filled with light. But if you think it can be divided, right, we glance a little bit at Jesus occasionally, but mostly you're focusing on that stuff you want to get, well, then your life is going to be filled with darkness. In fact, this is what Jesus meant earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about us being pure in heart. As Kierkegaard pointed out, pure in heart here is not about you only meditate on butterflies or something. It's about being single-minded in your devotion to God. And Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, right? For theirs is the kingdom of God. That, that blessedness is really important to remember. When Jesus is calling us to not try to serve God in money, you can't do it, but we could try, right? To, to, to not try to do that, he's not calling us to deprivation. Actually, he's calling you to liberation. Because wealth is a wonderful servant, but it is a horrible master. Just just mark that in your minds. Wealth is a wonderful servant, but it is a horrible master. Jesus wants to liberate you from that horrible master, and he wants to give you a life that he himself will bless. Blessed are the pure in heart, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Wholehearted service to the Lord is the way of liberty and blessedness, both in this age And for the age to come. C.T. Studd said it both memorably and well. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Beloved, you only have one life. Invest it wisely. Amen.